0: You're listening to an Airwave media podcast. Psst. Hey, yeah, you. You want to do something really cool? You want to win prizes? You want to help an independent podcaster get to 1 million downloads? Well, it's a good thing I'm here to tell you about hashtag Moxiemillion. Your brain on facts turns four years old on February 27th, and the show is currently just north of 950,000 total downloads. Share the show or a cool fact that you learned on social media with the hashtag MoxieMillion. I'll be keeping an eye on that and giving away prizes every week. Regular swag, exclusive swag, signed copies of the Your Brain on Facts book, you name it. Help Your Brain on Facts get to a million downloads before its birthday. Hashtag MoxieMillion. In ancient Greece, the Kirchopes were the sons of the Titan Oceanus and Thea, an Ethiopian princess. They were, by their nature, liars, cheats, and accomplished pranksters. This got them in trouble as they found out when Heracles tied them to his hunting pole and carried them over his shoulder, and that was the pose that got immortalized on all the vases. But it's all fun and games, until you tick off Zeus. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. You know what I love about humans? The contrary coincidence that we are as complementary as we are contrarian. In normal people speak, that is to say, we are as alike as we are different. And how is that manifesting in your earballs today? Monkey gods! My geek brethren will be excited to know that, of course, that includes Sun Wu Kong. Yeah, I used to think I was better than air horns. What I think happened was they became so lame, they're in the territory of middle-aged white women now. As the geeks rejoice, rest assured my nerd brethren that I will be talking about more than just Sun Wukong. And I believe those persons who care very much about the distinction between a nerd and a geek are referred to as dorks. Monkeys inhabit the tropical rainforests of Africa, Central America, South America and Asia. And so the peoples of Africa, Central America, South America and Asia have monkeys in their faiths and folklores. A bonus fact! Only New World monkeys, these Central and South American monkeys, have prehensile tails which allows them to hang from tree branches. African monkeys do not monkey mythology plays an important part in both the Hindu Buddhist lore of India and the Taoist Buddhist lore of China. In the various tales the monkey is portrayed initially as foolish, vain and mischievous. Yet in each tradition the monkey learns a valuable lesson along the way, makes some personal improvements and eventually gains redemption. The monkey thus embodies the themes of repentance, responsibility, devotion, and the promise of salvation to all who sincerely seek it. Monkey lore in India dates to at least 500 BCE, and the monkey god Hanuman, revered for his bravery, strength, and dedication to justice, he's connected to the sun, the wind, and thunder. Monkeys in general are revered in several parts of India. Monkey lore in China predates Buddhism, for the monkey appears in the Chinese zodiac, believed by scholars to date to around 1100 BCE. In some parts of China, the monkey is the great sage equal to heaven. We'll come back to that phrase later. For it is there that you will find Sun Wukong, the monkey king and essentially trickster god from the 16th century book Journey to the West. Sun Wukong was also the basis for Goku in Dragon Ball. You know, only one of the biggest anime franchises in the world. And that takes us over to Japan, where monkey lore took hold just about the time of the arrival of Buddhism in the mid-6th century CE. And the monkey was alternately a messenger to the gods, or a physical manifestation of a god. The monkey was thought to protect against demons as well as disease, and is a patron of fertility, safe childbirth, and harmonious marriage. But not all monkeys, or things that look like monkeys, are your friend. Though I would probably still try to pet it, regardless, because, let's face it, I'm going to die trying to pet something I shouldn't have. Fingers crossed. If you find yourself in the land of the rising sun, once the world reopens to safe travel, obviously, you'll want to keep an eye out for sarugami. According to folklorist Janagi Takunio, sarugami are a prime example of fallen gods. Spirits once revered as gods, who have since been forgotten. I would have called them Forsaken Gods, which is twice as accurate and five times as metal, but nobody asked me. The belief never vanishes entirely, though, and such spirits often remain as degenerate versions of their former selves, i.e. yokai or demon. Sarugami look just like wild monkeys, only bigger and more vicious, a subtle distinction. They can speak, and sometimes they're seen wearing human clothes as well. Two less subtle distinctions. Before the arrival of Buddhism, monkeys were worshipped as gods in parts of Japan. The southern part of Lake Biwa, in modern-day Shiga Prefecture, was an important center of monkey worship. There, monkeys were seen as messengers and servants of the sun, in part because they become most active at sunrise and sunset. Because of this, monkey worship was popular among farmers, who also awoke and retired with the sun. Over the centuries, as farming technology improved, people became less reliant on subsistence farming. More and more people took up professions other than digging in the dirt for vegetables. As a result, monkey worship began to fade away, and the monkey gods were forgotten. Today, monkeys are viewed as pests by farmers as they dig up crops, steal food from gardens, and sometimes even attack pets and small children. The sarugami behave, for the most part, like these wild monkeys. They live in the mountains and tend to stay away from human-inhabited areas. But when sarugami does interact with a human, it almost always ends in violence. Most legends follow a pattern. A sarugami kidnaps a young village woman and heroes are called upon to go into the wilderness, kill the monster, and save the girl. This puts Sarugami on the same keel as trolls and ogres. Quite a demotion indeed. It's not all bad for the Sarugami, though. While the early monkey cults have vanished, Sarugami worship continued throughout the Middle Ages in esoteric religions such as Koshin. In Koshin, monkeys came to be viewed as servants of the mountain deities or as mountain deities themselves, acting as intermediaries between the world we live in and the heavens. The famous three-monkey statue, which we call Hear No Evil, See No Evil, Speak No Evil, but is actually called Mizaru, Higazaru, and Iwazaru, come from Koshin and are a prime example of Sarugami worship. By the time of the Tokugawa or Edo period from 1603 to 1867, The three monkeys were portrayed in Buddhist sculpture. The message is that we should protect ourselves by not letting evil enter our sight, not allowing evil words to enter our hearing, and finally to not speak and engage in evil words and thoughts. Though a lot of people, especially in the West, take it to mean they should ignore or turn a blind eye to something that's wrong. Legend has it, Long ago, the Buddha appeared at Hiyoshi Taisha, a Shinto shrine located in the city of Atsu in Shiga Prefecture. About the same time, a large gathering of monkeys arrived in the area. The collective noun for a group of monkeys, by the way, is a troop or a tribe, but we do officially have the option of a carload and, yes, a barrel. You can say a barrel of monkeys, it's scientifically correct. So the Buddha took the form of a monkey and foretold the fortunes of the faithful worshippers at Hiyoshi Taisha. This appearance had apparently been foreseen thousands of years ago by a legendary Chinese inventor. Of course, the legends around this man also say he had four eyes, and when he invented the characters for writing, the gods cried and the sky rained millet. So, you know, do with that what you will. When this inventor, Kang Jae, Invented the word for God Shen. He constructed it out of characters meaning indicate Shen. And monkey Shen, To foretell this event In other words, monkey indicates God Isn't that a fun little bit of etymology? To reference a Twitter trend that lasted about a day and a half a month ago Red flag emoji It's not that words never have good backstories like this it's that words almost never have good backstories. Over in the Americas, the Mayans of Guatemala and Mexico worshipped a howler monkey god, and possibly a pair of twin gods, depending on the story, patrons of the arts, music, scribes, and sculptors. The howler monkey also corresponds to knowledge of history and ritual, as well as prophecy. There is a fabled lost white city in Honduras, Cuidad Blanca, supposedly dedicated to the monkey god. Pre-Columbian Toltec and Maya texts call it the ancient place where the aurora originates. Now, I'm not certain from what I was reading whether the Maya monkey god was two monkey gods or two versions of one god or one god in two bodies. It was never clear but the pair have been depicted on classical vases in the act of writing books and sculpting busts. This may be a depiction of a creation myth, with the book containing the birth signs and the head of the bust holding the life principle or soul. In Aztec mythology, the monkey was connected to the sun and guarded by Cochepile, the god of flowers, fertility, and fun, my kind of deity. Copan in western Honduras, in particular, is famous for its representations of howler monkey gods. Spanish friar Bartolomeo de la Casas stated that in the region of Alto Verapaz, the two monkeys were two of the thirteen sons of the upper god, and were celebrated as cosmogonic creator deities. Among the Quiche Mayas in the midwestern highlands particularly, they were held in somewhat less esteem, There, they'd been turned into monkeys after getting in a scrap with their half-brothers, the Maya Hero Twins, who had top billing as far as the mythos was concerned. Standing very high in my esteem are all the folks who support the podcast in all the many ways that they do it, such as people who leave reviews. And if you want to hear your opinion read out on the show, all you gotta do is leave me a review. This one comes from Podchaser.com, which is a great place to leave a review if you can't do it on your listening app. DLN1001 says, What did I think of the podcast? I think that your brain on facts is well worth the support and sharing. Moxie ranks just under my mom, wife, and the Empress Tater Tot, our slightly enabled dog. To even get close to the rank of Empress Tater Tot is high praise indeed. And I demand you show me pictures immediately. You may find me on social media Facebook and Instagram, Your Brain on Facts, Twitter, Brain on Facts Pod, and TikTok at Moxie LaBouche. And, you know, follow me on there, but you can also message me like anytime you want. Have an idea, got a question, shoot me a message. I'm there. And of course, much love to all the folks who support the show financially at patreon.com slash on facts. Books like Linda, Wallet Pager Keys, Oil of Hope, Darlene, and so many more, who not only got to hear the full episode of my only live guest show with Javier Leva from Pretend, and I just gave them a bonus mini episode about the Taliesin murders, the somehow nearly completely forgotten tragedy that befell architect Frank Lloyd Wright. If you'd like to support the show financially, but don't want to make that an ongoing thing, you could buy me a cup of coffee. That's right, Your Brain on Facts is now on coffee.com, which I, for the longest time, pronounced ko fi like lo fi, like lo fi girl, ko fi.com slash Your Brain on Facts, and toss a coin to your witcher of facts. And don't forget about the Facebook group and subreddit, the merch store, the Your Brain on Facts book. All of which you can find through yourbrainonfacts.com. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti democratic paratroopers into Montana. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. A lot happens every day. Cut through some of the noise by listening to What's New with Wired, a podcast that provides in-depth coverage on technology and culture. With new episodes released every weekday, you can catch up on all the major events you missed. While African-Americans have had to deal with monkey as an epithet, peoples of Africa traditionally held primates in high esteem. The root of the word primate is prime, which means first or chief or excellent or best. Of all the wild things in the wild woods, monkeys and apes were seen as the most intelligent animals, and so they became symbols of wisdom. That's why Rafiki in The Lion King is a baboon, based on the baboon depiction of the god of wisdom Tote. Yes, Tote is usually depicted with the head of an ibis bird, such as on the fabulous Crash Course Mythology series on YouTube, but the baboon form was popular too. In the Ivory Coast, the role of monkeys as guardians of the crossroads or gateways to the ancestors can be found in the god Gekri, Gekri is both judge of hell and helper for the living against their enemies for the ballet people. Skillfully carved wooden statues were common and usually depicted Gekri in a combination of animal and human traits. Over in the Old Kingdom, you hope it will be a while before you meet the Egyptian monkey god Happy. Not to be confused with another Egyptian god named Happy, who was ostensibly a human figure expressing both male and female characteristics. He's commonly depicted with the head of a hamadryas baboon, and it's Happy's job to protect the lungs of a deceased person being mummified, which is why the canopic jar that holds the lungs is often topped with a hamadryas baboon head lid motif. When embalming practices changed in the Third Intermediate Period about 3,000 years ago, The organs were placed back inside the body, so an amulet of Happy would be added to the mix to still invoke his protection. When his image appears on the side of a coffin, he's aligned to the side intended to face north. The lung-loving Happy wasn't the only baboon about in ancient Egypt, but he was definitely the nicer of the two. The other tended to be a little murdery and a little bit problematic, too. Bobby, the bull of the baboons, lived off human entrails, which is not totally outlandish for a baboon, as they are omnivores with tremendous fangs and a well-earned reputation for carnivoration. Babi also kills all humans on sight, so be sure you know the right prayers and spells to protect yourself, especially after you die. Your heart will be weighed against a feather in the Hall of the Two Truths, to see if you can get a seat upgrade to paradise. To his credit, though, Bobby can use his immense power to ward off dangers like snakes and control turbulent water. So, like the rest of us, kind of a mixed bag. Baboons also have libidos turned up to 11, so send the kids out of the room for this next part. Bobby was considered the god of virility for the dead. One spell in a funerary text identifies the deceased person's phallus with Bobby, ensuring the deceased would be able to get down make love in the afterlife. He's also usually depicted with an erection, and that erection is also the bolt on the gate between day and night and the mast of the fairy that conveys the righteous to the field of reeds to chill with Osiris. Why? I cannot say and do not wish to Google. There is a lot of good Googling to be had if you want to look up Hanuman, the Hindu primate deity. Hanuman, depicted as a bipedal monkey with a red face, is worshipped both in his own temples and as a secondary figure in temples to Rama. You'll know if you're at a Hanuman exclusive temple because it will be absolutely alive with monkeys. You can't mistreat a monkey in or near a temple of the monkey god, something the monkeys figured out centuries ago. Hanuman was the child of a wind god and a nymph. As a little godling, he tried to fly up and grab the sun, which he mistook for a fruit. The king of the gods, Indra, struck Hanuman with a thunderbolt on the jaw, the word for which is Hanu, hence his name. Unable or unwilling to behave, Hanuman was cursed by powerful sages to forget he had magic powers, cool powers like flight and the ability to make himself massively large at will, until he would be reminded of them. Hanuman led monkeys to help Rama, an incarnation of Vishnu, recover his wife from the demon king of Lanka, which is surprisingly not modern-day Sri Lanka. Jambavan, the king of the bears, reminded Hanuman of his powers, which allowed him to leap across the water-demoness-filled strait between India and Lanka in a single leap. The Lankans discovered Hanuman and set his tail on fire, but he used that fire to burn Lanka to the ground. He then flew to the Himalayas and returned with enough medicinal herbs to tend to all of the wounded in Rama's army. For his service to Rama, Hanuman is upheld as a model for all human devotion. Hanuman is also a popular figure among Buddhists in most of Asia, with temples and even whole districts of towns bearing his name. Like a game of telephone, the farther you get from India, the more Hanuman changes. For example, the original Sanskrit telling portrays him as effortlessly chaste whereas he has wives and even children in other traditions. And if his exploits sound a teeny drill bit familiar, you won't be surprised to know he's been identified as the inspiration for the monkey hero Sun Wukong, who would go on to inspire Goku. So, in a way, Goku is based on a Hindu god. There is a hiccup in our tale of Hanuman, and that's actual monkeys. Monkeys are wild in India, like raccoons and pigeons in the US. You might rightly surmise by the animals I've grouped them with that monkeys are routinely pests, and what pests they are. Think about how clever a raccoon is, then make it an acrobat who can understand a train schedule. In Delhi, rhesus macaques have become an absolute menace. Government buildings in particular are under siege. Macaques use Delhi's tree-lined streets to swing between the buildings, damaging power lines in the process. If you're walking around outside with food, you can almost expect to have a fight on your hands. You thought seagulls at the beach were bad. Being inside's no safe bet either. The macaques like to enter offices through open windows, destroy paperwork, and generally be chaos muppets. There are an estimated 40,000 monkeys living in Delhi. That is a pre-COVID number, so it wouldn't surprise me if the macaques had been making hay while the sun shines. But then I suppose you have to factor how dependent they were on robbing humans for food, in which case their numbers may have gone down during proper lockdowns. Though that would mean there would have been a terrifying period of too many monkeys and not enough pack lunches. Many solutions to keep monkey and man separate have been tried, and many solutions have failed. For a time, the city employed a crack squadron of the larger, black-faced langur monkeys to scare away the macaques. It worked a treat, but the unit had to be disbanded after animal rights activists protested against keeping the normally incredibly human-averse langurs in captivity. Thankfully for workers in the area, there's no such concern for the safety of the three-dozen men hired to pretend to be Langer's. Before you form the image in your mind, know they are not wearing costumes, but I would pay money to see that. They mimic the Langer's barks and howls to scare the macaques away. Unfortunately, the monkeys will return as soon as the Impressionists have left. One complication that you see in urban animal control the world over is there is always someone feeding the animals. The macaques are associated with a god, after all. The fact that feeding the macaques is against the guidelines passed by Parliament doesn't seem to enter into it. You also can't work on the monkey problem on Tuesdays. That's the day Hanuman is worshipped. So all monkeys get a free pass, and usually a free meal, one day out of every single week. So what can be done? In a few words, not much. Programs to sterilize or provide temporary chemical contraception are being tested, but the government basically warns you not to make eye contact with the monkeys as they interpret this to be threatening, and avoid getting between a mother and a child. If you didn't go looking for monkey trouble but it found you anyway, the official circular recommends, do not ever hit any monkey. Keep hitting the ground with a big stick to make the monkey leave. Bonus fact: In 2014, the government of India found that Hanuman had been issued a biometric ID card. The card listed a mobile phone number and an address in the western state of Rajasthan. The picture looked like it was from a painting, and it was never clear whose iris scan and fingerprint were associated with the card. Okay, 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 we are finally going to talk about the monkey in the room. I saved the best for last, the first name that would come to many minds if you asked them to name a monkey god, though whether or not he's really a god can be debated. He is incredibly powerful, or OP as the kids say. The one, the only, the multiple times immortal monkey king, Sun Wu Kong. Sun Wu Kong is one of the main and the most enduring character from the 500-year-old novel Journey to the West. This 1900-page book about the 36,000-mile journey starts with Sun Wukong's origin story, then sees him gather a five-man band, a pig demon, a fallen river spirit, a white dragon horse, and a regular human monk, for an epic adventure. Sun Wukong was born from a rock on the summit of Flower Fruit Mountain and became the king of the monkeys that live there. The idea of getting to live the sweet life for a long time really appealed to him, so when he returns from an early round of adventuring, he trains the monkeys into an army to take down the Eastern Dragon King so that he can take his and all monkeys' names out of the Book of Life and Death, releasing them from the cycle of death and rebirth. He then defeats some heavenly warriors sent to capture him, gets a job in heaven only to rage quit when he finds out the job has no actual power whatsoever, insists on being called the Great Sage Equal to Heaven, and commits a series of monkey shines and outright crimes. He steals quite a variety of things, including the Heavenly Empress's peaches, which were being prepared for an important banquet for the gods, all the holy wine, and the pills of immortality created by Lao Tzu which kind of kicks off a war between Heaven and Flower Fruit Mountain. Whoopsie-doodles. Sun Wukong is captured, but as no weapon or even lightning can scratch him, they put him in a furnace to burn for 49 days. This backfires spectacularly on the Jade Emperor of Heaven, giving Sun Wukong new powers and making him really, really mad. When the furnace is open, he leaps out and wreaks total havoc in heaven, taking on thousands of heavenly soldiers by himself. The heavenly emperor asks Buddha for help, and the Buddha outwits and outperforms the egomaniacal Monkey King and traps the cheeky monkey underneath the Mountain of Five Elements. Sun Wukong would stay under that mountain for 500 years, and we still haven't even gotten to the journeying part of Journey to the West. The story was not only entertainment, but Buddhist propaganda, which is two words you don't normally hear next to one another. You can make a very strong argument that Sun Wukong is far and away the most powerful character in the story, more powerful than the Jade Emperor and all of his armies. But Sun was no match for the Buddha. It's like if you're reading Deadpool comics for years, and then suddenly, Deadpool gets beaten by, I don't know, the spirit of Bob Ross. So that you'll want to take up painting and be generally pleasant and soft-spoken and keep a squirrel in your pocket. I don't know, this analogy got away from me pretty quickly. Anyway, the story spread with the religion, as well as independent of it, becoming a touchstone throughout Asia. In Japan, the Monkey King is known as Son Goku, while in Korea, his name is Sun Gong. So just how powerful is Sun Wukong? How about the strongest non-omnipotent character in all of fiction? I can make this case. Here are just a few of his greatest hits. He can run with the speeds of a meteor and cover 34,000 miles or 54,000 kilometers in a single jump. So Superman better watch his back Sun Wukong carries a staff that can be as small as a pin or as big as a mountain, but always weighs eight tons. He can freeze people in mid-fight, not that he needs to. He can control the weather, and he can even make copies of himself, like Naruto's Shadow Clone Jutsu. One of his abilities is called the 72 Earthly Transformations. Judging by the name, you might be tempted to think it's an ability that allows him to change into any one of 72 different things. Puts Ben 10 to shame, for sure. But this is not the case. The 72 Earthly Transformations allows Sun Wukong to transform into literally anything he wants. It's a lot like having a Green Lantern ring. He's really limited only by his boundless imagination. He can even turn himself into a different version of himself, one that is as powerful or more powerful than his opponent. He can just decide to be stronger. So no matter how powerful you are, the Monkey King can always get you beat. If the options are limitless, why is it called 72 Earthly Transformations? Because it gives him 72 lives. Just like a video game, you have to kill this guy 73 times to take him down and by the way he's immortal multiple times over so I don't know good luck the technique does have a limitation though he cannot use the power to become as powerful as the Jade Emperor or the Buddha but he's already beaten one of those guys so no big loss as if that weren't enough his body is covered in 84,000 magical hairs And he can transform each and every one of those hairs into literally anything he wants, including other copies of himself. This means that when fighting Sun Wukong, you're potentially fighting an army of 84,000 beings, all as powerful as you if not stronger. All of this essentially means that if you're not omnipotent, Sun Wukong will always be a minimum of 84,000 times stronger than you And as such, I would argue, is the most powerful, non-omnipotent character in all of fiction. Which is probably where he got the Cajones to demand to be called the great sage equal to heaven. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. In another myth of the Kirkupes, they did something to anger Zeus. And rather than smite them with lightning, he turned them into monkeys. That would at least explain their name. Curcupes translates to tail men. This myth actually inspired zoologists to name a genus of monkey depicted in Minoan frescoes as Curcupithecus. Remember, you can always find the source links and the script at yourbrainonfacts.com. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and stay safe. And don't forget, hashtag MoxieMillion.